Hello and welcome to season one, episode one of Tyler's Take, the podcast. I'm back and better than ever, baby. You'll get that reference when I let you know what I'm going to be talking about. I'm your host, Tyler Peters. We're going to be discussing, or I should say I'll be discussing, not to sound selfish, WWE SummerSlam 2002, actually just known as SummerSlam 02, the pay-per-view. And before we dive into our topic and add some context to it, some of the listening streaming platforms you want to check out so you can listen to Tyler's Take. The podcast is real simple. Via Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, I'll let you know when there's some other apps that are becoming available very soon. So let's discuss, shall we, about WWE SummerSlam 02. It was the 15th annual SummerSlam event and professional wrestling pay-per-view that was produced by the WWE World Wrestling Entertainment. And it was all about brand supremacy with Raw and SmackDown was the driving storyline. The event took place on Sunday, August the 25th, 2002, at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale, New York, was the venue. Normally, you're thinking, yeah, it's Madison Square Garden, the house that the McMahons have such a infinity for. I mean, there's such legacy, a lineage with Vince McMahon currently and his father, Vincent J. McMahon, his grandfather, of course, Roderick McMahon, promoting not only wrestling events but professional boxing bouts as well. But no, not in Madison Square Garden. Hey, New York's New York, and this building was popping. If I can sound hip and cool, it was on fire. It was hot for the hottest party of the year. You have to forgive me. I'm going through a cold, some allergies, but we're going to get through this thing. So I'm going to give you my perspective as it pertains to WWE SummerSlam 2002. Not to sound redundant, but to remind you of what we're discussing. And things got kicked off with some of the most intriguing, interesting, and just greatest matches possibly ever. The Ruthless Aggression Area, or excuse me, Era period. Let me get that out. Try to say that 10 times fast. You'll have a little bit of uh, bloopers on here. But it was just epic. It was amazing. Just the kind of content and matches we got. So... I'm going to go by an article that I, I wrote for my blog. Speaking of Tyler's Take, if you want to know, it's tylerstake.com, but you'll still have to search Tyler's Take, the podcast, and it's uh, via WordPress. And I'll give you more uh, details, information about that uh, later on. But Kurt Angle defeated Rey Mysterio in just a tremendous bout. What I missed about this era, talking about the ruthless aggression era that we're referencing, and we'll reference it a lot, I'm sure. I was thinking back to how much I missed it. I I got a little nostalgic, even though we're talking just 20 years ago with uh, 2002 from now the year, the new year of 2022, hard to believe it, nearly the 20th anniversary of SummerSlam 2002. I know I'm sounding redundant, but I've got to get these points across. But I'm so excited, and the fans really coming out in me. I'm even laughing. I'm having a ball. But Rey Mysterio, 
he sneaks behind Kurt Angle using the ropes. He's always innovative with his high flying. Kurt Angle is an Olympic gold medalist, won the 1996 you know, Olympics in wrestling, won that gold medal with a broken freaking neck. It's true, it's true. That is a very true story. Angle catching Mysterio with those German suplexes was just vicious, was with some authority, was it not? To see two amazing athletes just transition the sequences that stood out between the wrestling maneuvers was something to behold. It really made an impression on me as a fan. And looking back at it, as I, I wrote this review, Angle has the power. He goes into that technical mode kind of offense versus Mysterio. More of his high-flying, the aforementioned statement that I just made. An elusive quickness. Ray counters that Angle slam with an arm drag. Was that not just epic? How Ray did that, that whole uh, combination. Because Angle, when he hits that Angle slam, or angle slam, it's over. I'm thinking of the ankle lock, but the angle slam. And, of course, the ankle lock would finish off Rey Mysterio Jr. Just a fantastic matchup. Also, what I loved was the segment, speaking of storytelling, 101 was the uh, brands of Raw and SmackDown trying to outdo each other in the matches, the various superstars. We had Stephanie McMahon as the SmackDown general manager and Eric Bischoff as the Raw GM the general manager for the flagship show, the Red Brand Raw, but SmackDown had started creating some momentum, some steam, and became such a popular show for WWE in the late 90s. And we saw it starting to blossom, if I can use that word. Not to show. There's an actual word you can use to blossom, even though I was a fan. Let's not get too much off the rails. We are talking about some WWE for that matter. And I love the verbal exchanges, the banner between both McMahon and, and Bischoff. Stephanie McMahon, let me clarify. It was so awesome. I mean, it was just perfect. They were so amazing in those roles, was Easy e and Stephanie. Ric Flair defeating Chris Jericho. Just another phenomenal match with all due respect to AJ Styles. I know, but it was phenomenal. He'll even have to admit that. And the storytelling in video packages, nobody does it quite better than the WWE, their production quality and values. Something else that I missed, I can only speak for me, uh, Tyler here, the host, but I enjoyed it. The Flair Chops, the Nature Boy Ric Flair, the woos, all that. I can't do a good enough woos, so that's why there's no impression or impersonation. Sorry, but the flare chops were so intense. I thoroughly enjoyed those every time. It doesn't matter who's in the ring against Nate. But Jericho and Flair tore the house down in this match. And it would be hard to follow Rey Mysterio Jr. and Kurt Angle, but they did. And this is one of my favorite versions of Jericho Y2J. Two great in-ring workers are working extremely hard here. They exchange wherever Chris Jericho would do a great move. Flair defended it with a chop, great defense against great offense. He defended it. Let me say that again. With Flair did play defense with a chop against Jericho's great offense. Of course, aggressive from both men. Not anything fancy from the Nature Boy. Just working like the dirtiest player in the game. 
And Rick is known for being just in awesome shape, his cardio, everything. And that is what's so interesting was Jericho had to bend the rules as Flair would do, essentially, as the roles seem to be reversed due to Jericho being more of the hill compared to Flair in this instance, or maybe hill versus hill. Somebody help me out. I'm going to have to have a guy do research. But I'm such a big fan, and they're both just amazing uh, performers, wrestlers. Rick is the dirtiest player in the game, gets a low blow, and he follows it up by applying the figure four leg lock, and it's over. Flair defeats Y2J, Chris Jericho. Heyman with Lesnar was magic. They fit together, and Brock beat Hulk Hogan, defeated Hulkamania to give that legendary rub to the Beast Incarnate, a young Brock Lesnar. That's what I loved about this ruthless aggression era from the OVW graduates. We had we had Randy Orton, John Cena, Batista, Shelton Benjamin, Brock Lesnar, so many others, but that that's some of the more popular ones that come to mind that were coming up in the ranks during this period of time. Edge defeated Eddie Guerrero in another stellar contest. Watching these pay-per-views, gosh, Eddie went... He passed away too soon, as let me clarify my statement. He just went too young. Edge was coming into his own as a singles competitor, getting a well-deserved, much-deserved push in a singles run. By wrestling with Guerrero, Edge becomes a made man. Guerrero had tremendous balance combined with fluid movement in everything that he did. Edge complimented Eddie so much in every way. Edge attacked the shoulder part of the storytelling aspect of pro wrestling, the true art. It speaks to more experience over Edge when mentioning Guerrero. Also, Edge seemed to be the guy who WWE relied on. He was one of the young workhorses. And WWE knew it. McMahon knew all of this. A person who could work with anyone, and he knew how to get over with the people that Edge. And he was in there with one of the all-time greats in Eddie Guerrero. Edge had to fight to get back control of the match, but a spear by Edge to Eddie Guerrero, and he would secure the win, is what I was getting at, trying to gather my thoughts there. And now we go to the WWE Tag Team Champions, the Un-Americans, which featured Christian and Lance Storm as a tag team with Test. They defeated the team of Booker T and Goldust and retained the WWE Tag Team titles. A fantastic heel promo, very anti-American, was reminiscent of all those anti-American Soviet villains, heels back in old school wrestling. Lance Storm Christian just made a dynamic duo, and so did Booker T and Goldust. I love the segments and the, the uh, banter between Goldust and Booker T. Very odd pairing, but they made it work. Who says odd pairings cannot go out there and get the job done? Goldust is so underrated, always been a big fan of the natural Dustin Rhodes, and when he became this kind of oddball character during that Attitude Era, his work rate was still just up there. It was a 10. Just have a lot of respect for all these just great wrestlers. I was going to say tremendous, didn't want to overstate that too much and sound redundant, but hey, you could put tremendous in there. Why not add it? But Booker and Goldust were smoothly as a team, keeping their opponents over in their corner. Christian got involved on the outside, trying to offer a distraction 
to Goldust. That gets the heat from the fans so smartly and well executed. It was so smartly done is what I'm getting at while the referee's back is turned to see how effective that strategy was. Booker T was so fun to watch. I was a big fan of his and WCW. Lance Storm can hold his own wrestling-wise psychology with anyone. The same goes for Christian. A solid and good tag team match, which I enjoyed very much. Tess interferes again with a big boot to Booker T. Christian pins Booker, and that's all that it took. Tess was also a very instrumental key component to this uh, Hill team and to the tag team champions, the Un-Americans with Lance Storm and Christian. He was involved in a big part of it. And then we get a makeout contest between Nydia and Jamie Noble at the World. Was so entertaining. Actually, she was making out with other guys besides Jamie Noble. This is what made it so off the wall and how the uh, it was so crazy even during this time in WWE. But it was funny. Both were very talented. I, I got a kick out of it. I laughed between what Nydia and Jamie Noble were doing. And more back and forth backstage segments with Stephanie and Bischoff were pure, were pure gold. Let me re-say that. Let me try to say that 10 times fast. Their chemistry as on-screen rivals relating to their characters was just so good. We can't say that enough, or at least I can't say that enough. I'm used to being a co-host, so it's easier for me to say we a lot, but I should say I since I'm doing this solo. Hello there, Tyler. But just a lot of just cool things going on happening. RVD defeated Chris Benoit, becoming the new WWE Intercontinental Champion. It's surreal watching a Chris Benoit match again. It really is. But RVD possessed awesome striking ability with his kicks. Benoit can execute a more submission-style offensive approach. Benoit brought so much intensity in everything that he did. RVD, with his unique and innovative style of offense, also brought excitement to matches. Both guys were just hitting so hard, very physical, very intense, as they do. The Crippler cross-face countering the Rolling Thunder was a nice spot. Van Damme could create out of nowhere, whether he's coming off the top rope or just doing a kick somehow in some way. Five-star frog splash by RVD. And RVD, of course, defeats Benoit. That's why I'm saying it again, to become the new WWE Intercontinental Champion. Our next match, The Undertaker defeats Tess, who represented, we just talked about him, the Un-Americans with Lance Storm and Christian, who retain the WWE Championships, the tag team titles. Let me uh, restate that statement. As much as I like the older classic Undertaker gimmick, man, what about this American biker gimmick, which from what we understand was more of who the ticker was, who he really was in real life when mentioning the undertaker, riding the motorcycle and everything. It really fit him because it was more true to who he was personally as a person when referring to the undertaker. Tess passed away too young, very talented, Never thought he got the right amount of time to get polished as a wrestler. I see why he was rushed with his look, meaning size, and the visual. Just a big, impressive-looking individual was Test. 
more of a fight than a scientifically sound kind of wrestling match, more brawling. Tess as a heel made sense with Storm and Christian. Tess honestly did both. A big opportunity to wrestle Taker means you've made it or you've made an impression on somebody. They matched up well, at least if you're paying attention to their height. It was close to even. For what it was, it was not at all a bad match. Old school never goes out of style talking about that maneuver off the top rope that Undertaker executes when he's walking that top rope, that tie rope. You could insert that in as well. Pound driver by Taker, the tombstone pound driver. And the Undertaker defeats Tess. He beats him. And possibly, as good as I like all these matches, including our main event, we're going to talk about it later between The Rock and Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. Shawn Michaels defeating Triple H in the unsanctioned street fight. You talk about storytelling, making it personal, having an issue in pro wrestling. It was a story of best friends turned bitter enemies, with Triple H turning on Shawn Michaels on a prior episode of Raw, coming in building up to SummerSlam 02. And another episode of Raw saw Triple H hitting Sean with all of the elements for a marvelous fight. People can say what they want. HBK always performed at the top of his game, no matter what kind of backstage politics or personal drama was occurring at that time. Nobody can argue that the quality of in-ring work over the years in wrestling is truly incredible when you're talking about both the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels and the game, the cerebral assassin, Triple H. Triple H, you know, I never really got or appreciated his greatness till later. Don't get me wrong. Though he was good, but tended to never put him in the same category as a Bret Hart or a Shawn Michaels or even a Ric Flair. He proved me and his critics wrong. The game is a masterful worker. Shawn goes after Triple H to begin the fight. They're brawl. Shawn did not waste time in taking flight, catching his opponents off guard, including the game Triple H. HBK fighting the Cerebral Assassin was very intense and physical. A lot of physicality. Triple H is the ultimate opportunist, finding weakness in his opponents, including Michaels. HBK took the trash out using the trash can to take out Triple H. The game targeted HBK's back. He knew he had past injuries, true story, and told a story by discussing the back. The commentators, which were Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler, did their job getting those storylines over also. That's so important when trying to learn commentary, as I'm doing. But why not learn from the best and good old JR and the king, Jerry Lawler? And Triple H displayed disrespect against anyone. It didn't matter who it was, even his former friend, now bitter rival and enemy, Shawn Michaels. The game knows how to use weapons, case in point, using the steel chair on Michaels. Sean fought from underneath in a sense, which made sense, actually. Triple H was more methodical, and that DDT on the chair was wicked looking. Triple H whips HBK with his own belt, adding insult to injury. We see color with Michaels bleeding in the forehead. This match, I feel, does not get enough credit for how good it was. A sledgehammer introduced by Triple H. Who knew, right? Triple H with a sledgehammer? Michaels won't quit after taking all this punishment, though. He's a true hero. He's the babyface. The cerebral assassin's doing hill stuff. Super kicked into the chair was Triple H while he was holding it. 
Triple H had been busted open. Now he's bleeding. Sean whips Triple H with a belt. The table spot with Michaels coming off the top, crashing down on Triple H. Then good old JR. Jim Ross saying, good God almighty, never gets old. JR and Jerry Lawler were just so good, especially during this era also, whether it's the Attitude Era, the Ruthless Aggression Era of WWE. Elbow drop off the ladder by HBK to Triple H's awesome stuff. Gnarly, man. Michaels rolls up Triple H after an attempt at the pedigree after the match. Triple H attacks Shawn Michaels with that sledgehammer. How dare he do that to his former best friend and ally. Michaels gets carried away in a stretcher. It goes back to all that storytelling. Hey, the great Howard Finkel is a heel. He's committed. Is he not? Trish Stratus, this feud between the Fink and Trish Stratus was so clever, so funny. As Trish Stratus comes out, man, she is hot. I got to admit, Trish still looks fine. She's aged just like a good wine. Beautiful lady. Trish had to be a favorite of mine, a great wrestler, not only uh, you know good looking, but a just a great wrestler. I'm going to go back to that statement. Lillian Garcia is also involved. She's a ring announcer, and she slaps Finkel and kicks him in his lower regions to say it kindly. This was just a nice side of Fink. This is what they were doing. We talked about with Nidia and Jamie Noble at, at the World earlier on in, in this program, this pay-per-view. Why not have some more ha-ha moments with Howard Finkel, Trish Stratus, and Lillian Garcia getting involved? But now it's main event time. It's WWE Undisputed Championship match. Brock Lesnar defeats The Rock. Brock Lesnar is crowned and becomes the new WWE Undisputed Champion. The next big thing versus the People's Champion. He won the King of the Ring, did Brock Lesnar. The fact that he was a rookie when talking about Lesnar is astounding to me. He was pushed so fast to have a match against the most electrifying superstar in all of sports entertainment in The Rock who's been the established guy, the established superstar, was amazing. Showed me that they were buying into the Beast Incarnate, and you would see why. Brock beat Hogan, who we mentioned. Hulk Hogan was such a major star in the 80s and then on to the 90s, then with WCW. And of course, he was the star for Vince McMahon and his WWF at the time. Now this is the WWE, still Vince's company, just a different name. And I love the training videos before the match. Kind of gives you that serious Rocky vibe with Sylvester Stallone. Nice touch is another takeaway. Rock ran into the ring only to get a belly-to-belly -belly suplex by Lesnar. He's a beast for a reason, and Rock was being thrown around by Brock impressively. Paul Heyman gets a cheap shot on the Rock. Of course he does. He's slimy and conniving, but that shows you the talents of Mr. Paul Heyman the advocate for the beast incarnate Brock Lesnar, even here early on in his career. Brock is so intense, every move had something more to it. Lesnar controlled this match, early suplex city on full display. The Rock fought back, Lesnar just was too much. Heyman kept helping his guy when mentioning Lesnar. Fans turned on the Rock, and Lesnar was meant to showcase his abilities in this match. The champion has been dominant so far. Rock was knocking down Brock. Rock punches Heyman, gets back at the advocate. A sharpshooter by Rock applied to Lesnar. Fans were behind Brock, 
Lesnar targeted the injured ribs of The Rock with a steel chair to those ribs, thanks to Paul Heyman distracting the referee. How convenient. Rock with a nice clothesline to Lesnar, laying the smack down on the beast. A Rock battle to Heyman through the table. Mixed reactions from this audience, from this crowd, the fans. Rock bottom to Lesnar, and he kicked out amazingly, surprisingly. Lesnar delivers a rock bottom on the rock, and he kicks out of the Brock bottom. Clever. Lesnar with an F5, but the rock countered, and then Brock hit an F5 this time to win the match, becoming the new WWE Undisputed World Heavyweight Champion. From top to bottom, all these matches just delivered. WWE SummerSlam 02 2002 just made history. We saw young Brock Lesnar become champion. It was his crowning achievement. And this would be a man that would be on just a tear is what I was getting at as I'm gathering my thoughts here. Paul Heyman, you see the advocate, the early storytelling, and the people's champion, The Rock, already kind of getting booed the mixed reactions. Shawn Michaels and Triple H went to war. Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio tore the house down. Ric Flair and Y2J went to battle. We also saw the Un-Americans, Booker T, and Goldust just competing at a high level. And also Tess and The Undertaker doing the best they could with the situation and still delivering a very good matchup for what it was. And RBD and Chris Benoit were going at it with so much physicality, as RVD would be crowned the new WWE Intercontinental Champion. It was brand supremacy, Raw SmackDown, Eric Bischoff versus Stephanie McMahon. It was the Raw GM versus the SmackDown GM, a McMahon versus a Bischoff. How apropos was that, knowing he was beating them for 83 weeks. It was New York City, New York, or at least close to New York City, Uniondale, New York, in the venue was, of course, Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. The date was Sunday, August the 25th, 2002. It's been 20 years or nearly that. But this has been your host, Tyler Peters. I went through and discussed real briefly, at least within half an hour, and counting right now as I'm speaking to you, the listeners, about WWE SummerSlam 02, the and proves to you why it was the hottest party, not only the hardest, but the hottest party. I'll laugh at myself for that one. The hottest party of the year next to WrestleMania Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble to them all. And such a big deal for WWE and for all the professional wrestling slash sports entertainment. But before I sign off and say goodbye for this Episode 1, Season 1 of Starting Tyler's Take the Podcast. Remember, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts are your streaming platforms, and I'll update you on more details, more information. But I hope you have enjoyed it. I try to get excited. Forgive me, I've got a cold. I'm battling the elements, but I'm going to get through this because I wanted to get Tyler's Take up and rolling again for the audience, for the listeners. But until next time, we talked about SummerSlam 02. That's WWE SummerSlam 02 at that. And I'm signing off saying goodbye for now.